Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. So the cool thing that like, I feel in the atmosphere is he's sincerely chasing our hearts. Sincerely. And there's... Uh, it's hard um, to go back to it. I didn't think it was, but um, like he's really got like the old me on my mind in a certain way today. And uh, so I, I just want to kind of give like a quick little testimony. I'm sure most people know my story about now. But all the way back to when I was a little child, um, I remember I would always get a very, very, like, in this attitude of no one loves me, even when I was little. And looking back, I don't even see how because my family loved me very, very much. But there was something about it that I perceived that nobody loved me. And from that place is where I lived my life. I would say that I didn't care, but that showed that I cared more than anything is the fact that I would even say it. Now, I believed I didn't care, and I hurt people um, that continued to love on me. And, uh, and I remember even going like through school, and I did not fit in. I just, there's a lot of places I've been that I don't fit in. <laughs> but school was a big place I did not fit in. So I remember actually sitting here, I remember there was, there was one moment in my life that really defined who I ended up becoming as a, as a young man. And I remember I used to actually be very sensitive. So like if somebody yelled at me, all the way up until like sixth grade, if somebody yelled at me, I would cry. And uh, I remember getting made fun of for that because I was always a sensitive kid. And uh, I just cried about those things. And uh, I remember one day uh, I was sitting next to a really good kid um, we sat alphabetical order, and we were, she hand, the teacher handed out a test, and I asked him for a pencil. Now, I was already known as kind of a troubled child at this point, um, but I was never this rebellious, rebellious kid. I was, just, I was just angry and hurt all the time. And at this very moment, I remember, like even thinking back, I can almost put myself back into my thoughts when she yelled at me and made us call our parents and said that we were cheating. So I watched this very good kid call his mom. She was a substitute teacher, so, so everybody also knew her. And he had to sit there and basically lie to his mom because all I asked was for a pencil. And she said that he had to tell his, her, his mom that we were cheating. And he did. Now, I'm not built the same. I don't like to lie. Even in, even in my like, rebellious days, I would tell you the truth. Now, I am an exaggerator, but I think that comes with <laughs> the evangelistic gift. Because <laughs> I have yet to met a, meet an evangelist that, does, that says that there were five people in the room instead of a hundred. So <laughs> that's just my, my assumption on that. But I remember as she dialed my mom's phone number, and handed me the phone, I remember clearly seeing two directions I could go, vividly. And I chose the very wrong way to go. And right there with her standing in front of me, I told my mom what I thought about the lady standing in front of me. 
And from that point on, that is where I lived my life. That is how I found my gifting. I can be harsh. And I, I actually even in moments, and I, I do not say this proudly. This is why I'm emotional again. Because all, all the wreck that I did in that ignorant way that I went, I went from, I remember I, I actually could get teachers to lay their head down on the desk and cry. And I would stand up and I would teach everybody what I wanted to teach them. And they were just so distraught that they couldn't even stop me. Until finally, like, the uh, vice principal would always come down and get me. I knew him quite well. Um, but with that said, um, what he's really shown me, like, is I was always a gifted child. But I was... I was known as like the troubled child that if, if you just shut up today, Daryl, <laughs> I'll give you an A for the day. And I have passed classes because I didn't talk in the class. And that is the school that I grew up in and that's how I graduated pretty much other than my senior year that I actually applied myself and found that I am not actually stupid. I just learned differently than a lot of people. And even so that we, and I, I say this, I got to be careful how I say this. But on our trip, my wife and I went down to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And man, did we laugh. We had fun. And, and one thing I could pull out of that uh, um, is that that time me and her got to spend together was just, it was definitely needed. But I think that's what he's also trying to refresh our relationship with him in something like that. It, it's... It's so needed. It's so evident in our lives that, that we need to spend time like that with each other. Can I get my water, please? I'm starting to, like, smack. Um, so, uh, but anyways, but gifting and stuff like that is always in us. It says gift, the giftings come without repentance. So, um... To me, we're all gifted, like, from birth. Now, I think there's things that we can mature in. I think there's things that we can start to set our eyes upon, and he gives us those gifts. So I don't think we're just established in one gift. By no means do I believe that. Um, and one gift, so to go back, one gift that he has given me, and the devil has tried to distort it my whole life, is the gift of love. I've always felt like, I wasn't loved when I was a kid. And now looking back in perspective of what he's given me about love is I've studied love out for, I don't, I don't know how long now, but quite a while, and I'm, I'm very determined to continue to study it, that I have not figured it all out. And uh, he's given me people in my lives that have shown me what true love really means, that, that agape love. Um, but here's where it gets really neat in my life. Like, I say this and just an encouragement to look in your own life. It might not come the same way, but I'm sure he's written um, very fluidly through your, your life to where you can look at something and, and kind of connect the dots that like he's always been there trying to show you something. And uh, one, one thing that I, I love to talk about is, is obviously his agape love. But the fact that I felt so unloved and then dive into his love and, and just seek it with all my might and all my soul. And then one day I remember, 
I can't remember where I was at, but somebody encouraged me to look up what names meant. And I looked up my name. And it says, Beloved. Isn't that amazing? Like how he can, he can just do something in you. And it's so neat because like the, before I was born, or born in him, you know, I thought my name meant something totally different than what he established in me. And it's just so neat that he's, he's still working in that. And I, and I say these things not to show you just what he's doing in my life. I say these things because I promise you he's doing the same in your life. But I can't, I can't pick out what he's done in your life. Um, but I promise you if you seek him like we were this morning, when nobody's looking, he will start to show you these things. And... Uh, and I guess with all that, um, he brought me to, um, so I'm a very context person anymore when it comes to the Bible. I want to know who's talking, why he said it, and who he's saying it to. And matter of fact, let me look at the before and after chapters. So this one thing that I'm talking about, love, I've had, to, I've, I've had it play in my ears. So I've heard 14, chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians a lot, and I've heard chapter 12 a lot. Well, he's slowly starting to piece it all together to where it's not just chapter 13 anymore. There's a context of what he's talking about of love. And if, uh, and if you would turn with me, if you would like, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, trying to see which version he wants me in. I've read it in quite a few. Oh... You just draw from a hat at this point. <laughs> All right, well, I want to do this one after we talked about it. So this is the Message Bible. Um, but it talks about spiritual gifts. It says, I, what I want to talk about now is the various ways God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. This is complex and often misunderstood. But I, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. Remember how you were when you didn't know God, led from one phony God to another, never knowing what you were doing. Sorry. Just doing it because everybody else did. It's different in this life. God wants you to use our intelligence to seek, to understand as well as we can. For instance, by using your heads, you know perfectly well that the Spirit of God would never prompt anybody to say, Jesus be cursed or Jesus be damned. Nor would anybody be inclined to say Jesus is master without the insight of the Holy Spirit. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they also originate in God's Spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere. But they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere. But God himself is behind it all. Each person is giving something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Say everyone. There you go. And everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. Wise counsel, clear understanding, simple trust, healing the sick, 
miraculous acts. Now, in every version that I looked at, those two are actually separated in this text, which I find kind of interesting that he separates healing the sick and miraculous. Um, so sometimes I think maybe we don't think big enough in the miraculous. Because um, at least me personally, I've always kind of put healing in that miraculous category. Um, and the fact that he doesn't kind of amazes me. Um, but proclamation, distinguishing between spirits, so discerning, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one uh, by the one Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. So he's not saying that he's only going to give you one thing. What he's saying is he decides when and who he's going to decide. Um, and if we keep going, he's going to kind of show us why. So he says, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of one spirit, we are, we are all said or we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal piecemeal lives, whatever that means. Um, so yeah, wow. I thought this was the right version. But um <laughs> we each use independently used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large integrated life in which he has final say in everything, which that is important. This is what we proclaimed in the word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now part of his res resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit. We were all, we all call our, sorry, we were all called to come drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves like Jews or Greeks, slaves, free, or are not, no longer useful. We need something larger and more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all different, but similar parts are arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. Now, re listen to these things, because these are very important in this moment. Um, if ears said, I'm not beautiful like I, and expressive, I don't deserve a place on this head. Would you want to remove it from the body? If body was all eye, how could it hear? If, ear, if it was all ear, how could it smell? As, as it is, we see what, that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. It's so funny that that's just what it said. We've all met Martin. Sorry, I should say that. Um, what? <laughs> I'm going. The scripture, Daryl. 
What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you, or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic, and therefore the most necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but you, you cannot live without a stomach. When it's part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparison. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had a choice, wouldn't you prefer distinguished full-bodied hair? Or would you, would you prefer a good digestion, sorry, to a full-bodied hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as, as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt. That hit me a little bit hard. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. I don't know why that hit me so hard. Man. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body. And he lists a few of these. So he calls them apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body and not gigantic, undimensional part. It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues. And yet, this is the one that hit me when I read this, and yet some of you are competing for so-called important parts. Now, now with that, I wanted to really kind of hit in on the fact that we're all gifted, every single one of us. And I do believe we go through different seasons of giftings in certain places that we're involved in. Um, and there are, there are so many things in my life that I could go through and not to put on you, but I can just tell you from my own perspective of what I've walked through in, um, I guess, even my church calling. So, so trying to find out my importance in the church came from a very fleshly background. So I was always one that was told to sit in the back and be quiet. Then I come to church and everybody goes, I see a gift in you, and we want to provoke that gift. 
But the problem is, is I was seeking it with wrong intentions. I seeked it in the manner of, I'm not that kid anymore. I'm this kid. And that, that nastiness of pride came into my life. Now, it wasn't like it was just exuberating out of me, but there is this thing that likes to attach itself to you and grow. And, uh, and I remember there were times where I would get to church and I'd try to get there early, spread salt, um, and, and get the driveway cleaned to some sort to where people aren't falling. And then I remember um, actually one particular day um, that I get there and I did that, and I actually got in trouble for doing that. Well, the problem is, is I didn't have the right heart when that was presented to me. So now I'm bitter. I'm irritated. Then you do it. And that shows that I did not understand this scripture here, this context. Because whether I was right or wrong, or whether they were right or wrong, means no importance to God. What the important thing to God is, is, is my heart okay? Am I flourishing in what he's told me to be? Because here's the thing that he finally brought me to. He says, Daryl, if you can't find it in the life of my son, it shouldn't be in you. If you cannot make it work in Jesus... It's not of me. So imagine Jesus on the cross going, I don't deserve this. Look at them, they're fools. I raised the dead and they're, they're, they're killing me for it. He, you can't do the same. So me sitting there mad, whether it's right or wrong, means no importance in that moment. The one thing I've learned about Rightness and righteousness is rightness points out the wrong. Righteousness fixes it. It's very powerful when it can be made new, as if it never happened. And that's where it gets amazing in my heart to where I want everybody to run the race well. I have to be careful with some of the things I say because I have my own context and you have your own. We're all born of one spirit, as this says. We're all born... In the same thing, we're all of one body, but some of us just see things differently. Some of us catch things differently. Some of us are in different seasons of life. So what's the main purpose of coming together then? One, let me, the main purpose is to shine. That's all over through the scriptures. Let your light so shine before men. Come out, arise. Your time has come. The sun is setting you free. Like it's so much, so much of us being okay and not molded by life itself, but being molded by the potter himself. That's what happened when Adam sinned. Is he 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 basically gave his right to understand that he was already made right. And I could go into that, but um. So in, in moments of our lives, we have to understand, definitely when it comes to church and church family and the body of Christ, let me say that that way, the body of Christ is easier, 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 I think, in our hearts, in our understanding of what we went through in the world, it's easier for us to get hurt. And why is that? Out of, I've, I know pretty much everybody in here, like pretty good to know that everybody means well for me. How could you hurt me so easily compared to everybody else? 
and we give everybody else grace, man, they just must be mad today. But we get hurt by people in here very quickly. When we actually really care about each other, it shows me that there's a deception in the midst of us. I'm not saying we're doing that now. I'm just saying in my past and everything, that's something I've noticed in the church. And the fact that we talk about church hurt so much shows that it's real. And it shouldn't be. Because you can't find it in Jesus. What did he say? If they could see it, they wouldn't be doing it. Forgive them. And he even goes in, and he puts the exclamation point on all this. And at the end of 12, he says, but now I want to lay a far better way for you. And you turn the chapter. It says, the way of love. And he goes in and he talks, and I won't read it just for time's sake. But he goes in, he says, if I speak, you know, uh, tongues of all heavenly realms and, and this realm, if I know all God's mysteries, if I, if I can even give my body up to be burned as a martyr, but if I miss this one point, I have nothing. It means nothing. I'm doing it for my own sake. And what does God say when you come to him? He says, deny yourself. The fact that we can even be hurt by other people, definitely in the church shows it's still about us. And I, don't, I say that lightly. Trust me, he smacked me around with these. And I'm trying not to do the same <laughs> in that sense. But there's so many moments that I had to stop in my foot tracks and go, who am I to be hurt by this? The fact that I'm hurt by this shows that there's something bigger working. And the fact that he's showing me that I shouldn't be hurt, there's a reason for it. So now I didn't just go through what I went through to be hurt. I went there to be a peacemaker. Obviously, there's not peace in this person's life. Lord, help me pray for them. Let me speak to them on your behalf. Don't let me be hurt for them. Let me hurt for them. It's such a different perspective. And we have to make it there. Because here's one thing that I have learned, that there is only so much diligence you can have in your own flesh. There's almost... So much self-discipline you can do in your own strength. You have, and even if you do do it, it only lasts for a moment. How many people do you know that's quit smoking? And you meet them three years down the road and they're smoking again. I don't mean to call anybody out by any means. It's just something I, I pay attention to. It's something I've been a part of. That's why when, you know, he says, I've seen addicts finally set free. Like, that's why I raised my hand a little bit. I'm part of that one. He set me free from a few things. And that's what I love about the Lord, like, in my life, personally. It's like, he doesn't just give it to me in message. He gives it to me in action and word and deed. And I get to walk it out and I get to see it work. And then I get to come up here and share it with you guys. And I try to stay humble with it all. And he, he, that's the cool thing about having the Spirit of God. Is even when you mess up, he's like, Daryl, I don't want you to be doing that. And you go, oh, I'd be lost without you, man. Oh, look how long that road goes down that way. I'm so glad you turned me around. 
It's not, oh, I can't be a part of it now because I sinned. It's not that anymore. There's no longer any guilt, shame, or condemnation for those who are in Christ. It doesn't give you a free pass to continue to do it. And it's about transformation, making your heart pure, making your actions pure, so that in word or deed you can do it as unto the Lord. He says, if you, abide, if you say that you abide in me, you ought walk like me. Not my words, his. And he has set the example. God in all his infinite wisdom, and with my little brain, I still can't comprehend why he chose to float around in a womb for nine months and do it the hard way through. Example everything we should do and everything we should desire and give us a, a standard to set our lives to. And, and for most of my life, I've heard it as, well, that was Jesus. But let me, let me put it this way. So, God, the one that can speak things into existence, says that you are the head and not the tail. He can speak things like, you are spotless, blameless, and above reproach. You're a royal priesthood. He can speak these things, and we go... Yeah, I don't know about all that. That was Jesus. But yeah, he's speaking these things to us, to you. And when I pick up this Bible, those things come alive. But I've noticed in my own life that I don't just go with the flow of things. So he's put something in me for a reason. He's put this way of thinking in me for a reason. He's put passion in me for a reason. He's put all these things in me for a reason, not to get up here and feel good about myself. He didn't let me plow driveways and all these things that go unnoticed for me to, to feel of no importance. He, he's let me see the importance of it, actually. And when you're actually really seeing his word, and watching that it's no longer about me, but the other part. And as long as I'm functioning my part really well, then there's no reason to continue to look at it. But is the hand good? Is this part good? If not, I'm going to fly over here and I'm going to try to pump some passion into it. With hopefully and not over-drowned it. I'm pretty good at that. I, I laugh all the time because the Bible tells me to wash my wife with a word. It's one thing to sit under like a nice little drizzle. It's another thing to stand in front of a fire hydrant. <laughs> so pray for her. <laughs> but he goes down and he, he, he describes love. So, so like, okay, now know your part. Know what you're gifted with. And don't seek other things in the sense of I need it feel good about myself. He says, desire the more helpful gifts. But don't get caught up in desiring it so that somebody can pat you on the back. I know in this church we're going to try to pat you on the back. I may not be the, the best person, but I know Becky is definitely a very good person to see what you're doing. It doesn't mean it doesn't go unnoticed, though, because you don't get the, hey, I appreciate you, and, and I know it feels good, but I don't want us to seek it for that. 
I want us to seek it for that because it's his good nature to give us all these, all these gifts, all these things. And the reason he gives all these gifts is because we're called. So how, how do I say this? We're in a world, one world with two realms. There's a spiritual realm and there's this natural realm. And we use, in my life anyways, using this one word, or two words put together, whatever you want to call it, uh, can kind of be a, almost an eerie sound, but the supernatural can almost be like an eerie sound. And it was to me growing up. But when you really break that down, you know, it's a natural world, and then there's a supernatural world. I'd much rather be part of the supernatural realm myself. And when you open the Bible, and in 2 Corinthians, he talks about our weapons are not carnal. It's not about this realm. But it's mighty in the supernatural realm of pulling down principles and strongholds. And understandings and mindsets is basically what he's saying. So what you grew up to know is where Christians' powers are. How everybody grew up in Adam. The fall of man. Me. I, myself, me, myself, and I, look after me. Like, I'll say these things, and maybe you'll hear what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, self-preservation is what we've been trained to do your whole life. Study, go to college, and get a good job so that you can retire. That's the, the picture I got painted. But I've yet to find a bunch of people that are retired and happy. <laughs> I don't think that's the point of life. I'm not saying they're not out there, but they're not out there in groups. And if they are, they're gated. <laughs> and I can't even get a part of it. And it has nothing to do with about uh, closing ourselves off and isolating ourselves. Like, we gather to stir each other up, to fine-tune each other, to send each other out. Not to isolate ourselves in here, and it's easier in here. So that's why he brings in love. Now use all these giftings and seek them. But don't seek them without love because you'll only be doing it for your own self-importance. So he says, so he goes and he, you know, he defines it. And I mean, for a long time, I would sit here and... Uh, Try to like filter my actions and my thoughts through love. For love is patient. So I'd be like, am I being patient? Love is kind. Am I being kind? It never gives up. It's always hopeful. And then I'd always get to the one where it said, and it keeps no records of wrongs. And normally that's where it would stop me in the tracks. And I'm going, yep, I'm mad at them for two days ago for what they did. And I would filter my thoughts through that. And then finally one day he goes, Daryl, I don't want you to just filter. I'm not a filter. I'm a transformer. Like I transform. I want you to become what you're reading. I want it to be your second nature. It, like just that's how you respond. I don't want you to have to sit there because you're already mad in the moment. I don't want you to sit there and try to make peace in the moment. I want you to already be at peace. So you can be the peacemaker in the moment. I mean, once we get mad, can we agree? Once you get mad, it's very hard to backtrack. 
right? You're mad. Even if you know that you shouldn't be mad, you're still mad. And that's what I mean. You, you, you can only have so much discipline in that before it falls short. So you need something bigger than yourself. You need to be part of something bigger than yourself. And that's what he's talking about here. And here's where I kind of want to end. But after he describes what love is, you know, how it always endures, is always hopeful, love never fails. Let me get over to a version I'm more familiar with. But reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's two paragraphs at the bottom I never really understood. It, didn't, it seems like it takes a weird turn, and it, and it says it like this. It says about how love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And it says prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy only reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. And then he goes, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now I see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know is impartial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Three things last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. So I had to really work that out. I've been walking this love boat out for quite some time, and those never made sense to me until one of our Tuesday night prayers. And it was so funny because Becky said something about how go back to something he might have been already teaching you and he wants to teach it to you in a new way. She said something to that degree. So I went straight to chapter 13. And this just jumped out at me. It makes sense to me now. So he's talking about giftings. And then he tells you, make sure that you're not seeking it for you, but in love. And he goes, I'm going to tell you why that you need to seek it this way. And he goes in and he says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages will one day pass away. So what is the purpose of prophecy? If you read the Bible, prophecy is the best thing to seek. It's the number one gift to seek, is prophecy. Why? Because it edifies the whole church. It brings us all to page of what God is doing. So there's nobody left behind. That's the purpose of prophecy. And then in chapter 14, the next chapter that I didn't get to, he, he says, let love be your high, highest goal, but also seek for the giftings of prophecy and speaking in tongues. And he defines speaking in tongues, when to speak it, when not to, when it can be very messy and when it's more apply, applicable, applicable, that word. And then, um, so what he's saying in this moment is he's like, look, one day when, when the time of perfection comes, I'm going to instantly download every single thing I know into everybody. Nobody will ever need to prophesy again because we'll all be on page. 
but we're not there yet. So seek these things. And why are we seeking these things? Because we want everybody to be on page, not to feel important. What are the other gifts for? To make us get there, to stir us up. You know how many conversations I've had in the back of church when nobody else was looking with one other person and how my heart was so stirred? I'm telling you, people are important in this body. It's not a microphone. It's not, it's not a position of power in the church. My wife can vouch for this. The one thing when I started grabbing the microphone, the one scripture that continuously haunted me was don't let us all become teachers for they would be judged more strictly. And there's a reason why I, I'm worried if I get prideful. Get that out of me. Because not only that, I don't want to be the blind leading the blind and then we're all in the same boat. And then where's Jesus? Asleep in it and we're worried. I want to be on the boat where Jesus is sleeping and we have a bunch of people going, shut up, wind. <laughs> I want to be so part of this thing that I don't have to continually ask Jesus for everything. He's already told me what we have. All authority. All of it. Until the time he comes back. So it's getting our hearts on the same page in one body sense, one form. You know, even Ephesians 4, I think, talks about one body, one faith, one spirit, one baptism. We're all in this together. And if we're not, it just, it just hinders it. If you feel hurt, tell somebody. Even if it's just a feeling and you know you're being ridiculous, tell somebody. Because we care. If that's one thing that like, I could ever be known for, is that, man, that kid loved Jesus. If I don't love Jesus, how can I love you? And if I don't love you, how can I love Jesus? So I do care. We all have different ways, I guess, we show caring. And I'm all up for being trained and better and molded into being better at doing that. So if you need something from even me, or if I've done something other than encouraged you, please forgive me. And if it bothers you, tell me. And do the same for one another. Because if we, we, we allow ourselves to continually to get hurt by church stuff, we will be four people in a basement hurt talking about Jesus and the light of the world and you're in a dungeon. It doesn't make sense. And I'm all for if you're gifted and called and called out. But I want you to be good when you get called out. I want you to be full and energized with his love. And totally understanding your purpose, your gift, and your calling so that you can shine your light before men and you can get in the race and run this thing with all your might. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Will, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. 
Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.